0: Good morning. Yeah, as Tim said, if we haven't met, my name is Cody Hinton. I'm one of the members here. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm blessed to be able to be up here and for Tim to even asked um, asked me to do this. And so, um, sorry. For those of you who have been here a while, you know I have a track record of going long. So uh, I have my timer here for that. Um life sometimes feels like a journey, right? We're almost like we've we started in this one in spot, you know, the beginning of the, the race, and we're we're trying to make our way to the end, we're trying to finish well. Um, I think a lot of that has to do because we're we're linear people, we live within a time and space, and so we think of things as going from one place to another. And our journey along the way can can seem sometimes treacherous, sometimes it's really like smooth sailing, like maybe your journey uh, has had a lot of forks and bends in it, maybe your journey has been like a mountain pass with lots of switchbacks, where you just feel like you're going back and forth and not really going very far, Um, and maybe you're you're on that mountain pass and there's like this just deadly drop off and you're afraid if I just go too far, I'm just going to plummet to my death. Or maybe your journey feels like NASCAR and you're just spinning in a circle going left, turn, left, turn, left, turn. But wherever our journey is, there's a purpose in it. And there's a God who has a purpose for us on that journey. And this morning as we jump into the next chapter in Genesis, we've been walking through Genesis for a while. And we're actually, Tim was mentioning this morning before our prayer time that we're nearing the end. Uh, we're nearing the end. We're just a few chapters away to finish out this book. Um, and, you know, we should probably celebrate and have a party when that happens. But today we're going to be in Genesis 46. And in Genesis 46, we see Jacob's last journey that he takes while he's alive. This is the, he's, those of you who've been here for a while, you know, you've, you've heard the story of Jacob. He's gone from, you know, being at his mom and dad's place to traveling up to his uncle's place and was there for a while and then his journey took him back on his own to reconnect with his, with his dad and then kind of on his own journey of, of raising kids and a family and all that kind of stuff. And there's been all sorts of crazy things that have happened along that journey where he's you know wrestled with God and, um, and all sorts of trickery things that he's done, being deceptive and all that kind of stuff. And this is the last journey that he will take. If you guys who have been with us, you maybe missed the last couple weeks, I encourage you to go onto our podcast and listen to those. But we're we've been listening to this, the last few weeks of the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery. He was trafficked by his brothers and made it to Egypt. And God used that to kind of grow him into a mighty place within Egypt so that when this massive famine comes to the world, he's able to save a lot of people, including his family. In the last couple weeks, we've been this back and forth between his brothers going to Egypt to get food and then going back to his dad and then through different circumstances, they had to go back to Egypt again. We're finally at the part where Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers and he sent them back and said, hey, please bring dad here with you. I want to see dad again. Go back, get him, and come, come live with me in Egypt. So that's where we're at. We're in Genesis 46. You guys want to open your Bibles or turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some over there on the table. You're welcome to take that with you or we'll also have it on the screen. But before we, uh, we dive into that, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, this morning I'm admittedly uh, feeling a little foggy, feeling a little fatigued. So God, I just ask that you would would do a mighty thing and that you would um, move in this place and that you would uh, work through this passage um, in spite of us. God, would you do a great thing this morning and would you help us to see the truth that you want us to see through these verses today. God, we ask that you would be glorified in Christ's beautiful name, amen. Okay, before we jump into 46, we're actually going to go back a few verses in 45. So 45, 25, it says this. They went out of Egypt, they as the brothers, and came to the land of Canaan of their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. He is ruler of all the land of Egypt, and his heart became numb. His heart meaning Jacob's, Jacob's heart. So if you remember, the brothers had sold Joseph into slavery and then told their dad that he had been killed. So for 20-some years, Jacob has believed that his son from his favorite wife, so like even essentially his favorite son, we read in the Scripture, has been killed and has been gone. And now his brothers have to return back to him and say, hey, dad, you remember that thing 20 years ago? Yeah, we lied. We, we, we lied. So they've got to kind of eat a little crow and confess that they, they messed up. But it says his heart was numb. Just imagine, like, he's hearing this and like, why are you guys messing with me? Why are you guys having to torture me like this? Verse 27 But they told him all the words that Joseph had said to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel, another name for Jacob, said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So just imagine just this whirlwind of emotions that Jacob has had believing his son was dead for decades and all of a sudden his son's alive again. Like the confusion and the the elation and then the like anger towards his brothers, like so much emotions that he's having to wrestle with. But he eventually like sees all of the stuff that Joseph had sent with them, the carts and chariots and things like that and is like, oh, yeah, you definitely didn't steal those from Egypt. So this has to be true. So he gets excited. He's like, all right, I'm going to pack everything up, and I'm going to go to Egypt. And he does. He packs everything he has. But one thing he does is he, he stops. Before he actually keeps on his journey, he makes a pit stop. And let's continue. Verse 1 of chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God Of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions uh, of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, I'm here. Then he said, I am God, the God of your fathers. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. This is a little bit of you know, telling, hey, you're going to be there until you die. But God essentially, Jacob goes to Beersheba and he, he goes and there's already an altar there. If you remember back, there was an altar created there by Abraham. And then Isaac had sacrificed there. And it's a pretty famous or familiar place for us, this Beersheba. And it's on the way from where Jacob was living to Egypt. So he stops on his journey and he sacrifices. And he, he wants to make sure that God is with him which, given Jacob's track record, is kind of a unique thing. Jacob tended to kind of let his emotions dictate his decisions. He kind of allowed his, his desires to tell him what to do. If you remember back when he was stealing birthrights and, and blessings and all that kind of stuff. But Jacob stops. I think in his old age, he's realized, hey, I can't really do any of this stuff unless I know that God is with me. Jacob is also very aware of the history that Egypt has with his family. Abraham went there twice, and both times didn't turn out very well. Isaac tried to go to Egypt, but God told him not to. So there's this sense in the back of Jacob's mind of like, hey, maybe I should should really see if God's going with me or not. And so he stops, and God very clearly says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be there. I'm going to actually make you into a great nation. And then you guys remember, these are, this is the same promise that God made to Abraham and the same promise he made to Isaac. It's this continuing covenant that we see where God is like, I'm going to make a great people out of your descendants. And through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And so God reassures Jacob again hey, That promise I made to your grandpa and to your dad, I'm going to continue and I'm going to fulfill that through you in Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is how often on our journey do we allow our emotions or our desires to dictate our choices? Do we seek God when it comes to making, the, making decisions? I think sometimes, with like the really big ones, it's easy for us to say, okay, I should probably go to God for this one, you know. But some of the smaller ones that don't seem like they're that impactful, are we, are we as Paul says, praying continuously so that every decision we're making, we're going to God and saying, God, I need you to guide me in this? I need you to be the one directing my path? Do we seek God when we're making decisions? Do we look for God to speak through the wise counsel of other godly men and women around us when it comes to making those decisions? I know for me in my life there have been over the past decade or so several times where I've allowed my emotions and my desires to dictate my path and my choices those of you who are who know me are aware that you know, my wife and I were church planters for a while, for the last decade or so. And most, I would admit, most of the choices during that time were not based on what I felt God really was guiding us to or leading us in. Admittedly, and to my shame, I would say most of my decisions during that, that time were Based on my desire and my want to be this rock star church planter, I wanted to be like the best. I wanted to be famous in the church circles in which I walked, right? And that's what dictated. That's kind of what led all of the things that I I did and the choices that I made. And again, to my shame, like I think a lot of that had to is the reason why it didn't necessarily work out the way. I was hoping it would work out. I tell you, when we, when we seek God's face, it doesn't necessarily mean that what we're going to do is gonna be perfect or successful, but I guarantee you our joy and our peace will increase. When, it, when we go to God first... That peace and that joy he promises us is there, regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Amen, brother. so Jacob stops and he asks God for his guidance, and God promises to go with him God promises that he will he will be there with him, he even promises that he'll go with him again when he comes out of Egypt and God promised Jacob that he would even. Uh, that he would end his life there. That his son, Joseph, would be the one to close his eyes. So having received this promise and this guidance from God, Jacob continues on his journey. The next few verses we see where it talks about how he took everything with him. It lists a few things, his entire family, and it says they all went, everything he had. Found that significant. It shows that Jacob wasn't still kind of leaving a remnant behind just in case, right? He wasn't leaving some part of his family back in the promised land so that in case Egypt failed, he had a fallback. He was 100% in. He was all in. He's like, all right, God, if you're guiding me, if you're taking me here, Everything I have, I'm going to go, I'm going to take with, and we're all going to go to Egypt. I'm all in to whatever you tell me to do. And then the next 19 verses, we see Moses, the author of Genesis, is trying to give the reader this understanding of what God has done for Jacob on his journey. He begins to list out all of his descendants. He lists out his sons and their sons and some daughters and, and all of them broken out in by whose who's their, their mom was, what wife Jacob had that gave them those sons. And he, he reminds Jacob and he reminds the reader that during this journey, even though Jacob's journey wasn't perfect and even though Jacob's journey wasn't always exactly how God wanted him to go. There was murder and rape and all sorts of sinful things that happened on and in Jacob's journey and through his kids. What we see in this list of names is this beautiful picture of the blessings of God. God had just promised Jacob, hey, I'm gonna go with you to Egypt I'm gonna make you a great nation. And look, Here's everything I've done to prove to you that I'm good and that I'm faithful. You can trust my goodness. You can trust my faithfulness. You can trust that I'm going to bless you regardless of your choices, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of how terrible even your descendants can be. I've blessed you already and I'm going to continue to bless you again. I feel like that's For me, that's something that I struggle with. I struggle with reminding myself of all the goodness that God has shown me over my journey. I forget how often he's been kind to me in spite of my selfishness. No matter where our journey takes us, how hard it's been, how poor our choices were, how arrogant or pride-filled and sinful we are, God is good and faithful. And he is kind and he blesses us. And that's what we see. He reminds us of that, how good he's been to Jacob. Finally, we get down to verse 28. Jacob arrives or gets close to Egypt. And it says this He had sent Judah ahead of him. So Judah had already been there twice. He's like, all right, Judah, like, you need to show us the way. He sent jo- Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. When Joseph prepared his chariots and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen, he presented himself and fell on his neck, and he wept. He wept on his neck for a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die. I have finally seen your face and know that you are alive. Joseph said to his brothers in his father's household, so if, we, if you looked at those past verses, it, um, there's about 70-ish people all total. Um, and so like Joseph looks at this massive household that he had just brought, right, that Jacob brought with him. And he sees this whole household who were in the land of Canaan, and how he goes, I will go up and I will tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my family's household who are in Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth. Even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Egyptians were kind of stuck up people. but uh, Joseph, so they're getting closer and Judah finally lets Joseph know that, hey, your dad's here. So Joseph grabs his stuff and he races out to meet his dad. I love that where it says he he fell on his neck. And they wept for a good while. Just imagine that two decades of being apart and being reunited again. What that would have felt like. But that's not the most significant part in this passage. Jacob sees his son. He's like, okay, I've seen your face. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die now. I, my life has been fulfilled But Joseph has has more for them. He welcomes them. And it mentions this land called Goshen several times. Goshen at that time in Egypt was was the most fertile land that Egypt had. It was close to the Nile River, so it was constantly getting water. It was the best farmland. And Joseph is like, that's the land I'm giving you guys. I'm giving you the best we have, and I want you there. So, like, if anyone asks why you get the best land, you got to tell them it's because you're farmers. You've been caring for, caring for livestock your entire life. That's why you get this land, because you're going to continue to care for our livestock. Joseph comes out, and he, he, he ent- hugs his dad, and he entreats them, and he welcomes them in and provides for them all of this land and all of this means of living while they're here in Egypt, he even provides their identity for them. So that if even Pharaoh were to ask, he goes, hey, you tell Pharaoh this is who you are. Over the last few chapters, you guys have been here for the last few weeks we've seen Joseph in the beginning of his life as this kind of picture of how to suffer well, how to be in the pit and still be faithful and still trust God and his goodness. And the last couple chapters, we've seen this transition where he goes from being this man of suffering and sorrow to now he's more of a savior. The last couple chapters, if you missed the Christmas Eve service and we talked about how joseph was like providing and salvation for his family and that's what we kind of see we see this this transition of joseph being this savior figure for his family and i think that's the picture that we're supposed to see too joseph this is becomes kind of like this is the climax of that transition, right? This chapter is, is really the crescendo that we see of this saving aspect of Joseph and his, his life. And, and he goes and he, he provides even chariots and wagons for his dad and his family and his whole house to come to Egypt, to enter into his kingdom. He provides land and livelihood and identity for them in Egypt his kingdom. This son who supposedly was killed is now the one who is their savior. This is the end goal of Jacob's journey. This is where God has been taking Jacob his entire life to end with his son who was dead saving him and welcoming him into his kingdom and this is the same goal that God has for us. Our journey, where no matter where it started, where it's taken us, God wants it all to end in the same place, in his kingdom. He's inviting us in. He's inviting us to join him in that kingdom. And that's where he wants us. He wants you. Jesus, the son who was killed Has created the means of our salvation from spiritual famine and death. He has provided the way for us to journey from the kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. Not only has He provided the way, but the Bible tells us that Jesus even mentions that He is preparing a place for us in that kingdom. And He's given us a new identity. The Bible tells us that before putting our faith and trust and hope in Jesus, we are identified as children of wrath and enemies of God. That's who we are. That's our identity. Broken, black-hearted, sinful people. And Jesus, the son who came down to earth and was killed for us, Invites us into his kingdom and says, I, ah, you're no longer enemies of God. You're no longer children of wrath, but you're mine. You're mine. You're God's adopted sons and daughters. You are heirs to the kingdom with me. He provides us this new identity. And so just as The goal for Jacob was always to end in the kingdom of his son. The goal God has for us is to end in the kingdom of his son. Jesus has made that through his, made the way for us to enter his kingdom through his life, his death, and his resurrection. He doesn't want us to just enter that kingdom in some future date when our journey ends at the end of our days. He wants us to enter that kingdom now. He's inviting us in to that kingdom now. While it's this, not necessarily a perfect kingdom here yet, it will be. But he's inviting us to be a part of it now. It's this this longing and waiting for the final fulfillment. But while we're here, we can still glimpse that kingdom. We can still be part of that kingdom. We can be in with Jesus and have that relationship with him that he will eventually have in his presence. So he's asking us, he's inviting us, he's welcoming us, welcoming us into that kingdom now, not just for some future glory. So the question I have as we've looked at this journey of Jacob, we've looked at the, the end of this man's life. Where are you on your journey? Is there a place maybe where you failed to seek God? You've allowed your emotions and your desires to guide you and to to dictate your choices. Maybe you're still there. Maybe you're still wrestling with that. You're, You're just like, I don't know how to seek God. I don't know how to give up these Desires I have. I don't know how to give up this selfishness that's in me. Maybe your journey has been extra hard. Maybe you feel like on that journey you've had multiple breakdowns and it's been nothing but a desert. Maybe as you're thinking on your journey, you need to be reminded of the good gifts that God has given you. We need to be reminded of his faithfulness and his goodness to us in spite of being in the desert or in spite of whatever it is we found ourselves in. Maybe you're here and you're not sure where your journey is taking you maybe you're you're you know where you've started and you and you can look back and see where you've come but at the end you don't know the end for you is is obscure you don't know if it's going to take you to the kingdom of god this morning you can you can know that for sure you if you come to jesus if you put your faith in him you can know for sure that your journey will end in that kingdom In his presence, with him draped over your neck, weeping for your soul. Wherever you are on your journey, wherever, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're unsure about, the solution is to go to Jesus. To go to Jesus. He is the solution for every one of those questions. so I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get ready for communion. Father God, I I thank you. I thank you for your goodness and kindness this morning. I thank you that I thank you that you are doing something in spite of whatever we have going on. In spite of fatigue, in spite of sickness, in spite of all that stuff, God, you are moving and you are working, and and God, I pray, wherever we are this morning, wherever we find ourselves, where we find ourselves coming to you, how we love you and praise you. Amen. One of the ways that we remind ourselves of the goodness and faithfulness of God is through the Lord's Supper. Part of our journey that God wants for us is to commune with him. He wants us to be in relationship with him along that journey, and and he's given us several ways to do that. And one of those ways is what Jesus established with his disciples, and we call the, the Lord's Supper or the communion table. He's given this to his church to remind ourselves of all that he did for us and to remind ourselves of his goodness, his faithfulness, that he can be trusted on our journey and that he's the one who provides the way for us. So while he gave this to the church, he, he gave us also with a few warnings to not come too hastily to the table. He wants us to to commune with him before we commune at the table. He wants us to check our hearts and, and make sure that we're right with each other and right with him. So if this morning, if you, if you need to go to Jesus, I encourage all of you to do that. Go to him, spend some time with him, and then you can come up here to the table. I don't know who's serving today. Maybe you're not sure where you're at with Jesus. Maybe you don't know exactly. You wouldn't have any kind of way to describe maybe your connection with him. If that's you this morning, I ask you to like ask him to show himself to you, make himself real to you this morning. Go to him. If you're not sure where your journey is going to take you, if your journey takes you to the kingdom, go to him this morning. And then for the rest of us, let's go to Jesus, and then when we're done with him, that sounds bad, when we're done communing with him in that way, let's come to the table, we'll we'll go down the center aisle, Uh, you can go either side, hold out your hand, they will serve you the bread, there is wine or juice, obey your conscience there, and then return to your seats and we will all uh, partake together.